Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Genesis 21, the entire chapter, verses 1 through 34. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good ways off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from the heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up! Lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hands, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as if I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to Abraham, What's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be witness for me that I dug this well. 
Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistine. Where's God? It's a fair question. Where is God? Have you ever asked that question? If I'm really honest, there have been moments in my life where I've wondered, where are you? Where's God? In fact, a lot of people ask that question. Nations ask that question. You look at history, even here in America, there have been moments, even in our lifetimes, where collectively we've asked, where's God? You could feel the the nation gasp as a Boeing 737 flew into a building. And a, a building imploded, the Trade Center down. Thousands died in an instant, and the nation asked, where's God? You can look further back in history and, and mark American soldiers who walked through German woods and discovered the horror of a Nazi concentration camp. And their eyes saw something that made them collectively say, where is God? It's a fair question. People ask it, have you? Maybe you've asked that question in a more personal moment in your life. Maybe you were experiencing the the sudden and tragic loss of someone you loved dearly, and in that moment you muttered under your breath, God, where are you right now? The pain's too difficult. Maybe you've tasted incredible injustice in your life, and, and you're filled with anger and bitterness, and you're asking, where are you, God? The justice that I'm experiencing. Maybe it's a mundane moment. It's not an acute experience of trauma. Maybe it's a chronic season of the mundane that you've tasted. You just felt dry day after day, and you didn't sense God at work in your life in that season. Maybe you're in that season right now, and you've wondered on a Tuesday afternoon as you're sitting at your desk staring at a computer, where's God? Have you ever asked the question, where's God? Where's God? I suspect that Abraham asked this question. Don't you? I mean, we've been journeying with this man, Abraham, in his journey of faith for quite some time, and it has had seasons of great highs, and it's had long seasons of lows. I think Abraham must have asked, where's God? Through this series, we've we've been seeing God reveal himself to Abraham through a series of names. It's like labels of parts of his character that he's revealing to Abraham. And just like any relationship in your life, Abraham is getting to know God. 
who he is and whether or not he can trust him. It's a relationship. And God, in his providence and grace, he's slowly revealing to Abraham, Abraham, this is who I am. This is who I am through experiences and these names. And we've seen this starting in Genesis chapter 12, been walking through. There have been several names we've seen so far, three in fact. We saw back in Genesis 14 that God revealed himself as the God Most High, El Elyon. In Genesis 17, we saw God reveal himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty. In a parallel text to our text today, Hagar herself in 1613 names God El Roy, the God who sees me. And do you remember she said that the first time she was kicked out of Abraham and Sarah's household before she had a kid and she nearly died? And God saw her and she named him. You see, throughout our series, we've been noticing that when God reveals his name, a new name, it's significant. It's pointing to, like a label, what's happening in the surrounding context of that particular text. And here we have, in Genesis 21, long enough of a chapter that you've got to remain seated because you're going to get a leg cramp. And at the very end, look at it in your Bibles with me. Look at verse 33. 33 of chapter 21. This whole section There's parts of it that seem unrelated, but there is a theme and a thread that is labeled right here with a new name of God in verse 33. And Abraham there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. That's a capital letter there. And if you do a little digging into that, you realize this is the first time this name has ever occurred in the Bible here in chapter 21. And it's really the the only way that this Hebrew context is coming up in this exact way. This is the name that God reveals, the everlasting God. And I want us to see, I'm gonna trace through this long chapter, a theme. In this very name, we get a clue It's a clue that helps us answer the question that people ask on 9-11 and you ask on Tuesday afternoon staring at your computer. Where's God? And here's what I want to argue. The everlasting God is ever-present with you in your past, in your present, and on into the future. And I see this in this text, so I want you to see it in the text that our faith might be strengthened today. That's what I want to argue for. Where's God in our past, present, and future? Let's start with our past. Where's God in our past? I see a principle in this text, and it's this, that God proves he is with us in our past as he delivers on his promises. He delivers. Look look at the text with me in chapter 21, how it begins. Stunning. I'm struck by the frankness and simplicity of verse 1 of this chapter. Folks, we have been preaching through Genesis for weeks. This series started in chapter 12, and a lot's happened. It's been a quarter of a century since God has made a promise to Abraham that he would have a son 
that would turn into nations. 25 years. And a lot has happened in that. We've had ups and downs. Abraham's had a lot of waiting. He has traveled thousands of miles on foot. He has had many zip codes in his lifetime. He's nearly died several times. He's demonstrated at moments radical trust in God, and then at other moments, he stumbles in self-reliance, trusting in himself. He's been in ups, he's been in downs, he's had faith, he's had doubts, and all through this time, God had made a promise. You will have a son. Quarter of a century, have you ever waited on God? I don't like waiting a week, quarter of a century. And then with beautiful simplicity and frankness into this text, read this simple verse, 21 verse one. The Lord visited Sarah as he said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. Do you see the frankness? No setup, no fireworks, no Christmas decorations, just the frank statement. No need to exaggerate here. This is who God is. Quarter of a century, God does what he says he will do, and he did it exactly in the way he said he would do it, and he did it in the exact timing that he said he would do it. Do you remember just a few chapters earlier where Sarah is visited by God and these three messengers that show up, and she laughs when they say, hey, this time next year, we'll be back, because you're gonna have a baby. Exactly as God said, it happens. God proves his presence with us in the past as he demonstrates and delivers on his promises. Not one detail is missing. Abraham follows suit, he obeys, he names him Isaac, which means he laughs. And on the eighth day, not the seventh day or the ninth day, the eighth day, according to God's command, He's circumcised, everything. This is who God is. This this word right here is significant. Look at uh, the third word of our chapter. The Lord visited. Now if you read that in the NIV, it wouldn't say visited. The NIV says the Lord was gracious to Sarah. Gracious to Sarah. And anytime you see a translation that uses a different word, you gotta wonder, what's going on here? How are they translating this word? And you start looking up that word and you realize it has a wide verbal range. This word's translated various ways in different texts. Sometimes it says it's translated that God remembered or that God cared or God visited, God was present. And you start to get the sense of this rich word. It is not a simple God was in the neighborhood and he dropped by on Sarah. This word visited is rich with meaning that God came to Sarah 
at that moment with close and attentive care. God was with her. If Sarah at any moment in those 25 years had any doubts, had a moment where she whispered under her breath, where's God? Where's God? This moment in her life was a resounding confirmation. There is no denying it. God is with me. Have you had a moment like that in your life? Have you ever experienced the unexpected joy of your weak and feeble faith hanging on just long enough that God delivers? And suddenly you're reinforced, so much so, so much so that Sarah overwhelmingly, this, this laughter, this word, there's such a play on words in this text, and laughter's one of them. It's, it's like joy and tears. Can, can you imagine the moment? Abraham and Sarah in the tent? I'm pregnant. We have never been able to have children, ever. The significance wasn't just that she could finally have a baby, although for a man and a woman trying all those years, that meant so much. No, 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 the significance was far greater than just having a child. You realize in that moment, they knew who this God was. No doubt. My God is a God, the everlasting God. He's with me and he's ever present. Have you experienced this moment? When you survey your life and you look back on seasons of your past, have you had moments in your life where you've, you've wondered, you've doubted, you've asked the question, where's God? God delivering on his promises reminds us that even in seasons when you didn't feel his closeness and you weren't aware of his presence in your life, it proves, it demonstrates he's with you. Now, God's promise to Sarah and Abraham to have a child was God's promise to Sarah and Abraham. However, he has promises for us in Christ, countless promises that continue to us. And I could illustrate a lot of them. I'll pick one. Let's go to Romans 8, a great chapter full of promises. Here's what's true of you in Christ. In Christ, in Romans 8, we see that God is working all things for good in your life. That's a promise. And he, he then says with emphatic language in Romans 8, nothing. He asks, what could separate you from the love of Christ? Could anything, famine or nakedness or danger of sword, know in all things, in all things, because of the love of Christ, because he's with you, you are more than conquerors. So that's a promise for you today. And as you survey your past, do you believe that to be true? Can you sing Romans 8 over any season of your life? My God is with me. His love is never separated from me and he is working all things for my good. That, that's a promise 
that we can look back on our past and say, God was with me. God was with me. Where is God? In your past, he's been with you, and he proves it. He proves it by delivering on his promises. It's true for you. It's true for me. The everlasting God, he's demonstrating his attentive care by delivering on his promises from the past. But he is also present in our present. He's with us. And I want to see this in the text. Look with me. He, the story continues. There's a, a theme of laughter that's happening here. Sarah in chapter 16 had one kind of laughter. You know, the, the kind of laugh when someone says, hey, Sarah, you're going to have a baby. And she, you know, I could see water spitting out of her mouth. Pfft, you kidding me? It's one kind of laughter. And then she laughs here in 21, and there's tears streaming down her face. And it's the, the laughter of this unexpected joy that she can't even believe. But then there's a third kind of laughter. And it happens, it's the exact same Hebrew root, and just, if you adjust the Hebrew word just a little bit, it changes the meaning. And here we have a different kind of laughter. As they celebrate that this boy, Isaac, is weaned, he's probably two or three years old, they have this great feast, what happens? Ishmael, the son of the slave woman, laughs, same word, but this isn't laughter of surprise or laughter of joy. This is laughter of mockery. And the same thing happens in English too, doesn't it? We can laugh with someone or we can laugh at someone. And that's what Ishmael's doing here. He laughs, he laughs. And we don't know exactly what's happening here. Maybe he's laughing at just like the comedy of a woman with a walker who has finished weaning a child. Maybe it's that. Maybe he's laughing in disdain. At this point, remember Ishmael, even though it says child, and, and that's true in the Hebrew language, he's still labeled a child. He is in late teenage years, likely 16 or 17. This is a, a tall man who's laughing at his two or three-year-old brother in front of Sarah. And here's a lesson for us. This is a side, bonus, bonus side lesson. Abraham and Sarah had great moments of faith and they also had moments where they failed and sinned. One of those moments was when in self-reliance, Abraham and Sarah tried to have a baby through Hagar against God's command. Now God's grace is great and he forgives Sarah and Abraham, completely forgiven. But here's the reality of our sin. Though it is forgiven, and for us in Christ, it is completely taken care of on the cross. Every bit of that sin. You know what's still true? There are still effects of our sin on earth. There's consequences. There's consequences. Maybe, maybe you've had an addiction early on in your life, and you have, by God's grace, broken that addiction. You're free, you've repented, you have a new life in Christ, and God has forgiven you, clean, dealt with on the cross. And sadly though, you may still be dealing with the health effects of your addiction. And this, this is a reality of a broken world that we live in. We see this principle at play in this 
narrative. Ishmael laughs at Sarah, and though their conflict had been dealt with, they had been forgiven, the effects of that brokenness and the sin in that marriage comes up again. Oh, the old wound, the scab that had started to heal gets ripped off in a moment for Sarah. And she immediately and aggressively, you can tell, she's grabbing her husband, she's pulling him into the tent, and she says, this boy and that slave woman will have no part in this inheritance. Cast them out now. Do you see the effects of sin? It's ugly. Forgiven. Oh, but it, the relationship's so broken. And Abraham has a dilemma, doesn't he? He's dismayed, the text says. He's dismayed over this. And you, you wonder why, and there's a couple reasons. One of them is cultural. Uh, at that time, we have uh, contemporary tablets and texts. One of them is a Navi tablet that demonstrates that it was against custom to cast out the son of one of your servants. So that, there's people watching. They said, this is a no-no. This is like against the law here. And his wife is saying, you're going to do this. But, he, but he's dismayed for another reason. Remember, this is his son. He's 16 or 17. That is 16 birthdays blowing out the candle. He coached his soccer team. Abraham helped him get his driver's license. And now, now, after 16 years, he's faced with a dilemma. Cast them out? Abraham knows what that means. This is not relocating them to a nice retirement home in Florida. This means likely death. And we see it. We see how desperate it becomes for Hagar and Ishmael. He, he in a rush, clearly, I mean, he's a wealthy man, and all he sends her with in this rush is one skin of water to wander in the desert. And Hagar and her 16-year-old son, arm in arm, are walking out to the desert. It gets worse and worse to the point where she stumbles enough to place her son under a bush. And perhaps she crawls a bow shot's distance away because she can't bear to hear the moaning of her dying son. And in that moment, as she wept, you know what I wonder if she asked? Where's God? Where's God? My son's dying. I've been mistreated. This injustice, I didn't choose this for my life. Where are you? And the everlasting God is ever present, even in that moment. In the middle of nowhere, an Egyptian slave woman and her son cry out and God hears. Folks, not a whimper of your life has gone unnoticed from God. You might have had a moment where you closed the door and cried to yourself that nobody knows about. You're in the bathroom. You think you're alone. God hears. He cares. He's present because he is the El Olam, the everlasting God. He's present. And we see that 
He's been present for Sarah as he visited her, and now he's present for Abraham as he reassures him, no, do as your wife says, send her out. I've got a plan. And now he's gonna be with Hagar and Ishmael in the desert. God hears him, and look, I, I, this is a long chapter, but I wanna keep showing you where this pops up over and over. As I'm praying, it just jumps off the page. God was with him in verse, uh, let's see, 17. Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes. She has a well of water. The boy gets a drink. And as he grew up, he lived in the wilderness, and God was with him. With him. This is stunning. As he grows and makes a nation and blesses him. Do you wonder today where God is? Maybe you're in that dry season right now. It's just Monday and it's just Tuesdays are happening every Tuesday again and again. And, and you wonder, is God really active in my life? Is he present? He's with you. There, there's an old belief a few centuries ago called deism that is rampant in our culture actively. Nobody wakes up and, and probably says, I'm a deist. I'm, I, I believe in deism. They probably don't do that, but functionally they do. And, and it's this belief. Be because of the tension between a God who exists and, and the feeling that you don't sense him working in your life, one way they resolve that is they say, well, maybe God does exist, sure, but he's more like a watchmaker. He's the God who set up the world. He designed it perfectly with great precision. And as he clicked the button of the watch, as he got the world spinning, he stepped away and let it go on ticking. And he's not really involved. He's transcendent, but he's not imminent. We believe this often, functionally, in our day-to-day -day lives. Oh yeah, God exists and he's high and holy, but he's not concerned with the details of my life. He's not actively involved. He gets involved every once in a while. And scripture over and over, even in this text, is showing this is not who the everlasting God is. That's the name that's given here. There's a reason. Everlasting, continuous, no gaps in the God who is actively involved in working out his plan in the world and in your life. He's imminent. He's close. What's your functional belief? He's got a watchmaker who's not involved. Oh, my life's not important enough for an Egyptian slave woman and her son. God hears and he responds. The everlasting God is present in our past and he demonstrates close and attentive care in our present but it's not just that. He will be faithful to be with us into the future. And I see this too in the text. Hagar and Ishmael are cared for. They turn into a great nation. In verse 22, we, we seem to have this section of scripture that you, you might be wondering this morning, why, why is Zach preaching with this section? <laughs> I mean, how is it related? A treaty with Abimelech? What does this have to do with anything that's happening in this section? 
I want you to notice something. Every character has demonstrated in this text that God is with them. But now there's a pagan king, Abimelech, who does not know the Lord, but he observes something that even an out-of-touch pagan king can recognize, and it comes in verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, what's the words? This Christmas season, this Christmas season, what does he notice? God is with you in all that you do, Abraham. He's with you. You see what the narrator's trying to do? He's, he's threading a theme over and over that even a pagan king is recognizing. Abraham, when you asked where's God and you had moments of doubt in your life, I, a pagan king, have come to remind you God is with you in all that you do. Every moment, every category of your life, Abraham, I see it. This God you worship, he's an everlasting God and is with you in all that you do. It's stunning. And so we have this, it seems like it's unrelated. He says God is with you, and then at the end of this little section in verse 33, he calls him the everlasting God. What's happening? And there's this treaty, a treaty. They have this little skiff about a well. Seems just foreign to us. This is significant. This is significant. And here's why. God promised to Abraham not just one promise, but several. You see, he's fulfilled that promise. Abraham, you will have a son. But there's another promise that has yet to be fulfilled. He's called in this text a sojourner, a wanderer, a a dude without a zip code. God promised Abraham land. Land, and not just any land, the promised land. And so far, he's just been wandering and wandering and wandering. And here in 21, we have a treaty forming. Abraham, some nobody, is now making a treaty with a king. He has risen to that kind of status and power. And they're having a discussion about a well. Why? Abraham wants to confirm without a doubt This well in Beersheba is my well. And do you know where Beersheba is? The southernmost border of the promised land. It's it's Abraham's first step of planting a flag. This well is mine. Do you see? He's got confidence of one promise fulfilled. My God delivered Isaac to me in old age. If he can deliver on that promise, when he promises that I will have this land, I will have this land. He's confident. So confident, in fact, he wants to mark this moment, not just with a well, but he does something he's never done before. Seems odd. Abraham plants a tree. Plants a tree. What's with that? Folks, I have planted a lot of trees. You don't know that about me. I am a master arborist. If you would like a tree in your backyard that will die in six months, 
I can help you with that. I've had a lot of practice. Um, when when we, li- we lived on, a, on Timberline Road, our, our fence was right on the road. We could feel the vibrations of the semi-trucks on Timberline Road, and we had no trees, no trees, none, in the entire lot. And I determined I am going to plant a tree. My children one day <laughs> will play in this tree, and I killed many of them over and over and over. But you know what? Of all those trees I planted, I still drive on Timberline Road. Two of them lived. Do you know why I know that? Because when I planted the tree, you could not see them behind the fence. And now every time I drive by Timberline, years later, I can see my trees. I'm so happy. I've thought of talking to the new owners and just said, please care for these trees. This is all I got. Why is that significant? I've experienced this. This is years in the making. Why would Abraham plant a tree? Don't you see it's such a fitting testimony of marking his faith, moving into the future that he will trust in God. He plants a tree, likely, very likely, the same type of tree that Hagar had put her son Ishmael under. The tamarisk tree, you can Google it, it's a bush-like tree, it lived in the desert. I can't confirm it, but it was likely the same tree. Marking that moment that God had been faithful, he plants the tree and year after year, as he came back to the southern edge of the promised land, he could see that tree grow as a testimony of his faith that's growing. Years and generations into the future, it would stand as a testimony to what God had done. Do you see how future-oriented it is? And then as he plants the tree right there in verse 33, he gives God this name that we started with. See you together in verse, verse 33. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord. Gives him this name, the everlasting God. El Olam, the everlasting God, has, it means everlasting, backwards, but it has a special emphasis in the Hebrew on a future-oriented everlastingness. He's been everlasting, he's everlasting now, but those pieces, past and present, give Abraham the faith that he will be forevermore the everlasting God. Has God been with you? in your past? Yes. Is he present now with you? Absolutely. Will he then be present and faithful into the future? This is our confidence. So when I ask today, maybe we should go to Home Depot together and buy a tree. How's God working in your life right now? Is is there a moment by faith that you need to mark in some special way in your life to give confidence, a growing, everlasting testimony, a tree you can visit again and say, my God was faithful and will be moving forward. Maybe it's not a tree. Maybe it's a verse that you frame and you hang in your hallway. Maybe it's a journal that you write today, mark the date. Maybe it's a letter that you write out a testimony, you seal that letter and you write on the front, open in 10 years. 
to remember how faithful God is. Where's God? The everlasting God has been with you in your past. He's present in your present and will be forevermore into your future. This is who God is. He's the everlasting God. The theme of God's presence is a critical theme in all of Scripture. And as I close, I I, want to highlight this for us. Think of the simple phrase, God with us, from the beginning of the Bible to the very end. In creation, in the garden, what's the greatness of the Garden of Eden? What's the sweetness of the original design of all of creation? It wasn't the trees, it wasn't bananas or animals. Do you know what it was? God's people and God with them. Unhindered in any way, just fellowship every day. The best part of Adam and Eve's day wasn't waking up and finding a banana. It was waking up and going, we can go for a walk with God. And there is nothing between us. That's his design. But then the fall happens. And the tragedy of the fall, the tragedy, the greatest tragedy isn't that for Eve that birth would be difficult or for Adam this curse of the ground and work would be difficult. The greatest tragedy was separation from God. Sin was this barrier. But even in the garden, God was bent on being with his people he loves. And he made a promise. He said, I'm going to work out redemption. And one day, Eve, your seed will be born and will crush that snake and evil and sin. And I will be your God and you will be my people. And Christmas happened. And that's why you've got all this behind you. Christmas is the great reminder every year that we didn't climb to God, he came to us. Christ is with us. That's the glory of Christmas. So anyone on Christmas Eve that's alone and sad and hurting and asks, where's God? Christmas itself is the reminder God is with us. He came. And there are joys and realities that we have obtained now. Promises have been fulfilled now, but we have more coming. They're future-oriented. What is your confidence that Christ will come again? That the new heaven and the new earth will be better than you could ever expect and that our fellowship with God, one day we will be with God and God will be with his people in the new heavens and the new earth and it will be just as he designed. What's your confidence that that will happen? He's fulfilled his promises in the past. He's present with me in the present. So I'm confident he'll be faithful in the future. It's Christ. Christ is my confidence. And and this is who we celebrate this Christmas. Maybe you need a tree. Maybe you need an envelope sealed for 10 years. But Christ himself knew that we needed a testimony, a tree, a reminder that he's with us. 
And we get to celebrate one of those reminders today. Communion itself is the regular rhythm reminding us that God came to us in Christ and that he is with us. And he knew we needed that reminder. He knew we needed something to mark it, to stand as a testimony. And so on the night that he was betrayed, he, he broke bread and he poured wine and he said, every time you do this, Life Point Church, a few thousand years later, do this in remembrance of me. So right now, I want to invite you, let's take a moment in reflection. I want you to pray to God and thank him for his presence with you and ask for God to make that reality true in your life today. Let's take a moment and pray. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.